0: in the book of Acts. I'm excited to preach today. I'm going to be honest with you. I have a lot to say in a little bit of time. So if I rush through things, forgive me. If I take too long, also forgive me. But we are in the book of Acts. And just to give you guys some context of what we're about to read, the book of Acts is actually the part two of the gospel of Luke. So the book of Acts is written by Luke. And not Luke the Skywalker one, you know, just Luke in the Bible, just for those not to get confused. If you're new, it's not that same Luke. And it's the second part to what he has already written in the Gospel of Luke. And like any good sequel, if you're a movie fan, a good sequel is just as good as the first part. Amen? Amen. The book of Acts was written once again by Luke. He is the only non Jew author of scripture. I don't know why, but I kind of like that about him. The Bible tells us that Luke was a doctor, a physician. And in Colossians chapter 4, he also te- the Bible also tells us that he, was, uh, he, he would accompany Paul preaching the gospel, right? So Luke is a very educated man, right? To be a doctor in any world, in any age, in any era, you have to be very smart and educated. Um, some scholars uh, note how even in his Greek, it was on par with classical Greek, which is even harder, you know, to write and to speak, and, it, you know, we also find out that because he is a physician, a lot of the things and miracles that Luke writes about are about physical healing. And what better is it to know about, yo, this is real from a doctor, right? Has anybody been in that position where, you know, the doctors say, oh, this is not going to work out. And all of a sudden God says, nope. And that, the doctors are like, well, I guess there is a God. This is Luke, count, you know, writing all the different accounts of what Jesus did through the physical healings. He also writes one of my favorite stories, um, passages in the Bible, which is Zacchaeus and Luke 19. If you guys don't know Zacchaeus, it's a great passage to see and read about the encounter of Jesus and how he changed his house and his life. He is also vertically challenged. I like to say that uh, about Zacchaeus. You guys might not have gotten that joke. It's okay. We move forward. (laughs) Luke in Acts 1 is writing to a man named Theophilus, Theo. It's a great name for You know, a son one day, I think. You know, I don't know. I have to talk to Angie about that. But Theophilus, we don't really know much about him. We do know that he wrote the Gospel of Luke for him and acts as well. And uh, according to a Jewish historian, Josephus, Josephus, I believe is that? Yeah. Theophilus is the high priest in Jerusalem between the years of A.D. 37 to A.D. 41, which would be just around the time of Jesus' ministry, death, and resurrection So here we are in Acts, and we're about to see the power of the Holy Spirit. Today's message is titled, The Power and the Promise of the Holy Spirit. Are you guys taking notes? Awesome. The Promise and the Power of the Holy Spirit. So we're about to find out what the promise of God is. Church, I want to remind you before anything as we begin this message is that God wants you to live a life full of, of the Holy Spirit. Jesus left us a comforter. Do we know that? He left us a counselor, an intercessor whose impact is like dynamite. Is someone here glad that we're not left alone? Yeah? Because we will get stuck in moments where we feel super alone and sad. But today's message is a reminder that you are not alone. Our good friend and therapist, uh, Dr. Daisley, once told me, a man that is left alone is in bad company. A man that is left alone is in bad company. When he said that, I was like, man, you are right. Because when I'm alone, sometimes the worst things come into my mind. Temptation is on my left and on my right. The devil starts putting doubt in me. But when I remember I am not alone, I have the Holy Spirit here. Boom. Gone. Acts 1. You guys ready? So it says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them and and after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And isn't that very human of us, that Jesus is telling the disciples something and now their head is somewhere else? Jesus is saying, this is what's about to happen, and we're worried about the when, not the who. God, when am I going to get that job? God, when am I going to get that house? God, when am I going to get that new car? God, when am I going to get that spouse? Instead of saying, God, who should I be reaching for? Who should I be longing for? Who should I be seeking And Jesus goes on to say, in other words, don't worry about it. It's none of your business. And verse 8, here's a key verse. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even here in Baldwin, New York, church. And when he had said these things, they were looking on and he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in the white robes in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is Jesus who was taken up from you into heavens will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So these first 11 verses, what did we just read? We read about Luke taking account of everything that Jesus did here on earth. And what's about to happen. And the promise that Jesus gave the disciples and the apostles in this moment. And we see that the the apostles being distracted on what they want and not what the Lord is telling them in this moment. And he tells them, you know what, mind your business. Focus on what I'm telling you now. And he goes on into verse 8 and promises a power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you guys will be witnesses wherever you go. Amen. And then as he is saying all this and he ends, he now gets a lift from a cloud. See what I did there? A lift from a cloud. Tough crowd, tough crowd. <laughs> and they are gazing at him go up. And they're staring. They're like, wow, that's really, really up there. Huh? He, I don't think he's coming back. Wow, he's serious. And then, snap. Hey, you guys, don't get distracted. He will be back. But I think there's something you have to do today. And so that's what happens in Acts 12. It says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olive, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Now, real quick, I just want to point this out. A Sabbath day's journey away was about 2,000 cubits. We don't use those measurements now. It would be 1.2 kilometers or three-quarters of a mile. And the reason I want to state this is because the Sabbath day was a day of rest. So they were limited to how much they could walk because then it would be considered work. Some of us need to slow our roll and be able to rest. Some of us are resting too much. But you have to be okay and say, hold up, i got to pump the brakes and i got to focus on the Lord. I have to have a Sabbath because I'm going to overwork myself. And God, I'm pretty much saying, God, I don't trust you enough. I don't trust in your Holy Spirit. No, no, let's slow down a little bit. Have faith that God is still moving even when you're not. Amen. Verse 13, and it says, and then when they had entered, they went up to the upper room and they gathered just like we are today. And then they had all the apostles there, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And it says, in those days, Peter stood up amongst the brothers and said, hey, guys, we have a problem. We got to figure out who's going to replace Judas. We've heard news that Judas has killed himself. He has hanged himself on the tree. He has fallen down and all his guts have come out. We have to replace him because there's a promise that says that his office was filled. So what they did? was what any believer would do, go into a time of prayer. So as they're praying, they get to a point and they're stuck, and they don't know what to do, and they said, hey, let's cast lots. Anybody know what cast lots is? Lots is a word that comes from the word lot, uh, lottery is a word that comes from the uh, word lots. So pretty much what they did is what I do sometimes with my wife, sometimes we get to a point where we don't know what to decide. Very quick, an example, we, wanted, we needed a new car uh, my wife's car had broken down, had a little bit of life. We needed a new car. The pandemic had pretty much just started, so we're freaking out. We don't know what to do. We might not have enough money. We're saving for a wedding. We're here left and right trying to figure out what we're going to do. We, she wants a Jeep. I'm like, Jeeps are too expensive forever for no reason. So I said, let me go ahead and find a better solution. We went out. We looked. I did my research online, got a Toyota Tacoma, and I said, babe, this is it. This is a truck right here. She's like, a truck? Why do we need a truck for Long story short, we flipped the coin. We said, God, this is on you. Heads, we get the truck. Tails, we move on to something more efficient like a Prius. Thank God we landed on a truck. And we've seen how that truck has helped the church, our life, our friends, and our community. And i got to say, listen, if you're putting something in God's hands, don't worry. He will take care of it. And if he could do that with a truck... Now, there is a debate about casting lots, and I'm going to clarify that for you right now. I know maybe got, some of you guys weren't thinking this, but some people say, hey, well, if the disciples casted lots to figure out who was going to fill in Judas' spot, and they only gave two options, Matthias and the other one, I'm trying to find that right now. What was it? You guys weren't paying attention, huh? So they're, he's trying, they're trying to figure out the two uh, apostles. Who, who's going who's to be filling up Judas's uh, spot? But there's a Proverbs in 16, 1633 that says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So even when you cast lots, family, God is still behind that. But yet we, we are still reading through the Acts and what's happening. So now they feel the position of Judas, and they're, they're about to be encountered by the Holy Spirit. We're in Acts 2. Are you guys with me? It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, now the day of Pentecost is a celebration. The Jewish people call it Shavuot. It's a feast of weeks or the feast of 50 days. uh, it's a Jewish festival, a holiday celebration. And what they're celebrating is the 50th day or the 7th Sunday after Passover, which just aligns with Easter. And they're celebrating the Thanksgiving of the wheat harvest and its first fruits. So here are the Apostles... Gathering together, it says, they were all together in one place, verse 2, Acts 2, 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing wind. (sighs) And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There were dwellings in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from nations under heaven, and at the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because they did not understand what they were hearing or who they were hearing. It says, they were hearing them speak in their own language. Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own tongue? Hear them speak. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, uh, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and, and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we have them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And our all of, We were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. So as we reading along, we're seeing how the Holy Spirit has just been baptizing those gathered in the Lord's name. Now with the Holy Spirit, I believe that there's two schools of thought sometimes, unfortunately, in the church. The first one is we need the Holy Spirit. I need a speaking tongues. We're infatuated. We, if if there's no Holy spe- you know, if there's no speaking in tongues at that church, that church is dead. And then there's that other school of thought where it's, I don't understand the Holy Spirit. I don't get it. I'm, I'm I'm worried. I'll shy away from the Holy Spirit and being okay with speaking tongues. Here at One Life, I want to be very clear and very straight to the point. We are right in between that. There is a healthy balance of that. What does that mean? That means that if the spirit comes and falls upon us and we're speaking in tongues, that's not a bad thing. Amen. But we're not going to go ahead and shout and make noises if it's not the spirit. We don't shy away from it and we don't not welcome it. Can we agree on that? And if you want to talk to us about it later, I will be more than happy to walk through with you on that. So you see, church, I believe that we are divided in that thought. And as we're seeing this in the book of Acts and we're reading it, I think the big question is here, how can I, and you can say your name, how can I be empowered by the Holy Spirit? How can I be baptized by the Holy Spirit? And I want to give two quick testimonies of my life. The Holy Spirit moved in my life in two moments that I could easily recall. The first one, I was young. I, we had gone to an encounter. We had gone to one of those retreats where you go up into the mountains where there's no Wi-Fi or signal. You separate yourself, and you get focused, and you read scripture, and you read, and you hear messages, and you're praying. And on the very last day, with fear in my heart, I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying. And I'm asking God for forgiveness, and I'm asking God to reveal himself, and I'm asking him, God, God I welcome you into my life. And then two brothers lay hands on me and start praying. And boom, the Holy Spirit filled me up. And I know it was the Holy Spirit because I felt the burning inside me. I, I, I heard myself speaking another language. I understood what I was saying, but I didn't understand what I was saying, if you guys know what I mean. And the Spirit filled me up, and I knew in that moment the Holy Spirit was moving. I remember I had a friend next to me, and I'm looking at him, and I'm praying, and I feel it. I'm crying, and I feel like this freedom and this pouring of the Holy Spirit, and he's freaking out. And I talked to him afterwards. I was like... Yo, what happened? Like, you know, like, did you, did you see that? He's like, yeah, man, I was excited but scared. <laughs> he was like, I wanted what you had because I knew the spirit was moving, but I was scared to receive it. Something to think about. You guys want the Holy Spirit, you got to welcome the Holy Spirit. Right? God can't feel what, that which he doesn't have. And then the second time that I felt the presence and the spirit of the Lord was right here at One Life. I believe it was my first time that I had come into this church. Pastor Isaac, Pastor Scott, they were getting ready to do a transition and Pastor Isaac, as one of his leaders and his team members, he said, hey man, why don't you come by, check it out on a Sunday that you have. And from the moment I walked in, something had changed in me. And I remember feeling this heaviness and this burden for the house. And then Pastor Scott calls us up to pray we're praying just for whatever purpose God has. And boom, I start to cry and then I start to pour out and I start feeling this feeling inside of me, this burden of the house, a love for this house, for people that I don't even know yet, for a community I'm not even aware of yet. And the Holy Spirit started to move in me and that was the impression and that was the feeling of the Holy Spirit where I said, this is where I need to be. This is where God is calling me to be. Amen. Amen. But before we answer, how do we empower? How do we get poured into and baptized by the Holy Spirit? You must ask two questions. First one is, who is the Holy Spirit? You can't ask for someone you don't know. And the second one is, what is His purpose? So the Holy Spirit, just to be very clear, is a real being. He's not an it. i mentioned that before. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Is a he. It's not a mystical energy. John 14, 16, 17, it explains all the attributes of the Holy Spirit, the personality. 1 Corinthians 2, 11, the Holy Spirit has a mind, right? It says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So you can't understand a thought if you don't have a mind. The Holy Spirit has a mind. The Holy Spirit has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the Holy Spirit, he has a mind. He has a will. He's able to choose who and not he wants to fill, who is ready and not to be filled. Number three, he has emotions. Did you know you could grieve the Holy Spirit? Ephesians 4.30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He feels like we feel. He rejoices when we rejoice. He grieves when he grieves. You can't comfort someone if you, don't, if you can't empathize with them. The Holy Spirit is God. It says he was there at creation's Genesis 1.2. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God who was hovering over the faces of the water. He was there at the beginning of time. He is omnipresent. Psalms 139, 7. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit, eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So now we ask the next question, what is his purpose? So the overall purpose of the Holy Spirit is to testify the truth of who Jesus Christ is. To testify the truth of who Jesus Christ is. In John chapter 14, verse 6, it says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is helper. Amen. The Greek word for helper is paracletus, which means come alongside. So the Holy Spirit doesn't stay in one place. He, he comes with you wherever you go. See, he comforts and he counsels. And which is funny because I, as I was studying and reading in this word, the, the secular word for paracletus means a legal assistance and an advocate. So the Holy Spirit is advocating for you even when you don't know it. Interceding for you even when you don't know it. Amen. Is anybody glad that they're not alone today? See, Jesus before going, he gathered the disciples and he was more focused on who he was leaving them with than what he was about to encounter in crucifixion. See, the Holy Spirit wants to do something unique in you, church. Individually. Can we agree? Can we say, Holy Spirit, I want you to do something in my life. I need you, Holy Spirit. See, Jesus has promised a helper today. Ten different ways that the Holy Spirit moves. You guys ready? Ready? I'm going to go quick. He helps us in trouble. It's going to be up on the screen, a little small, John 14, 16. He teaches us the word, John 14, 26. He convicts us of sin, John 16, 7. He leads us to God, Romans eight fourteen. He gives us wisdom, 1 Corinthians 2, 13. He guides us towards truth, John 16, 13. He satisfies our souls, John 7, 37. He dwells within us, John 20, 22. He comes upon us in power, Acts one And I quickly want to distinguish the difference between the filling of the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. See, the filling is when you get baptized and, and you start to move something inside you. But the empowering is what, what gets you through the day. Well, we'll start to nudge you in your heart. Go speak to that person about God. Hey, why are you angry today? Do you not have joy in me? And as believers, we have to understand that. So you may say, okay, now we know who the Holy Spirit is. Now we know how he operates. We know who, what his purpose is. How can I be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Four things to note. You ready? Present your body to him. Once again, God cannot fill that which he cannot have. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Second way, ask him. Luke 11:9 Luke to 13 it says and I tell you ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be open what father among you if his son asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts and we are evil relatively to God And you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? To those who ask him. Third, we must obey him. Acts 5.32, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Fourth, have faith galatians 3 2 let me ask you only this did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith many of us are here if not all of us are here because of faith not because of what we do not because of how we serve not because how we give but because we have faith in jesus through the holy spirit and it's important to know this guys it's important to know who the holy spirit is he is the spirit of truth and I'm not a parent yet, but I do work with the young adults and the youth. And, and there's one thing I've noticed is that truth is more important than ever. Yes, parents? Because there's a lot of fake news. There's a lot of things filling up social media, telling your kids this and that. In the political you know, world, there's so many things telling us things contrary to the truth that is in Jesus Christ. The spirit of truth is important to have day in and day out. So if you walk out of your house without welcoming the Holy Spirit in your day, let me tell you something. Be ready. You know, if you walked out your house today and you said, Holy Spirit, come with me to church, best believe he is here with you. But some of us are are living our day to day without even acknowledging him. And that's scary. He is comforter. He is counselor. He is a guide. He is helpful. And as we continue reading Acts, Peter quickly understands all this that we have just spoken. And he starts to give his first message here to all of those gathered in him. And it says, but Peter, verse 14, Acts 2. It says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, addressed the men that were doubting who the Holy Spirit was and what he was doing in that moment. He said, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk. Remember, there's a festival happening this day. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since since it is only the third hour of the day, meaning they haven't even started partying yet. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he goes on to say, read out the promise that God had given his people about the Holy Spirit and the speaking of tongues and being filled. And while Peter is speaking and saying all these things, someone in the crowd replies and they feel it deep inside. And it says, verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brother, what shall we do? There's nothing better than when you're sitting and hearing someone speak of God and what he's doing and you say, what shall we do? What shall I do? What shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized and every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that forgiveness that Genesis was talking about earlier. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 39, for the promise, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. So the promise is not just for you sitting there. It's for your children. It's for your children's childrens. It's for the children's children's children of your children. I haven't even started making children. But I'm holding on to this word. You know what I mean? Hold on. And then he goes on to say, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And it seems like this generation we continue to have is crooked. Right? Is it me or is it things just looking upside down? Every, every, each and more every day. 41. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. In Peter's first message, 3,000 people came to know Jesus sheesh that's a that's a sermon right there and you know what happens here at the end of acts it's the beginning of the church it's the origin of the church not just any church but a church on fire see acts 2 ends with luke giving account of the early church and how through the holy spirit lived with one another And the day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day to those who were being saved. So, what starts at the end of Acts 2? A spirit filled, serving seeking community, support giving of believers. See, a church on fire for God starts to witness in their day-to-day. See, Jesus said you guys will go on from uh, Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the rest of the world. And this is what starts to happen at the end of Acts 2. And I believe that it continues to happen today here in Baldwin, New York. Can I get an amen, church? So what's the Lord promise once he ascended? The Holy Spirit. And what's the result? of having the power of the Holy Spirit, a church on fire. If you guys don't mind, why don't we stand up real quick. And I'd like to take a moment to pray. If I could just have the band come up real quick. The church today is a reminder of the promise that we have in the Holy Spirit and the call to be a church on fire for God. To be a community that serves each other, that signs up, that shows up to the covenant class. A church that's ready to help those who are in need. And everyone here has a need. Amen? If you don't mind, we're going to bow our heads, close our eyes, and I just want to quickly pray over you guys.